0: Thank you, thank you, you can take a seat. I always feel like with all these intros that we've had this series, I feel like I should be like on the 90s Bulls team in the breakaway sweatpants and like rip them off and run down the tunnel and, but no one did that, so. And these pants are staying on, I promise. Ooh, good, you laughed at that. I was afraid you guys were gonna get real weirded out by it, but that works. Man, I'm so honored to be here, so glad to be with you all this morning. I wanna welcome in our Lawrenceburg campus, our Shoals campus, and all of you joining us online. Welcome, thank you guys for coming, spending time with us today. Thank you for everyone that's in the room. And um, man, for those of you that are tuning in on vacation, extra props to you because you're on vacation and you're, you're getting some time off and yet you're choosing to be with us today, so thank you. And the great thing is, we're actually gonna be talking a little bit about vacation today because we're still in the book of Psalms, we're finishing up our series back to the 90s today. And today we're gonna be talking all about rest and relaxation and vacations. And the big question we're gonna look at today is how do we rest? So how many people have uh, already taken a vacation this summer by show of hands? Raise your hands in Shoals, Lawrenceburg online. Okay, a few. How many have a vacation scheduled this summer? That would be me, yeah, okay. How many of you wish you were in one of those two groups? Wow, that's not even everybody. You guys are hard workers, I guess. Now, for me, I love vacation. I love sleep. I love resting. I love relaxing. And since I am a 90s baby, I was born in 1991, so I don't remember much of the 90s, but I was there for most of them. I just wanna talk about my dream 90s vacation And it was a Disney cruise. Okay, I remember I would watch Disney Channel and the commercials would come on and it would be, you know, you're on this boat, you've got games, slides, characters, everybody's there. I was like, this is the most incredible vacation I could ever do. And I would beg my parents, I'd be like, I wanna go on this Disney cruise. I wanna do this. This is my dream. This is my dream as a child is to go on this cruise. And so... At the end of every commercial, they'd always go, hey, call this toll-free number to get a free VHS, 30 minutes long, all to give you more information about the Disney Cruise. And in my head, as a seven or eight-year-old, I just go, if I can get them to get that VHS, and I can get them to finally understand how great this vacation is going to be, we're gonna go. So I beg them and beg them and they call the toll-free number and we get the VHS sent to our house. So I'm like, all right, we're one step away. Then I go, okay, sit down, watch it with me because I know at this point they're going to give in as soon as they watch this video. So we sit there, we watch the whole 30 minutes about Disney cruises, what it's all about, what you can expect, all the amazing things you can do. I am geeking out. I'm like, I finally did it. I got him to get the VHS. Now Disney's doing the rest for me. We've got it. And my parents were so amazing. They spoiled me. They loved me so much that they let me watch that VHS every single time I asked to go on that cruise. They said, well, we've got a 30-minute cruise right here. And they just put that in, push play, walk away. It was great. Um, And now... As an adult with two children, I realized that a Disney cruise is the worst possible (laughs) vacation for an adult. I dread the idea of a cruise ship, let alone, I'm like, okay, so I found out just this past week that the cruise ship rooms are really small. I'm not really small, so I'm like, okay, that's bad. And then I have two children, and they might be small, but I don't want them in my same small space. And I was just like, my parents were so wise, and a 30-minute video was probably torture for them enough to sit through that cruise. Needless to say, I never went on a Disney cruise, and now my goal is to never go on one. But that was my dream throughout all the 90s was, if I could do this, this would be the most amazing vacation ever. This is where I could find rest. This is where I could find relaxation as a kid. And now I know as an adult, they would have never found any rest. They would have just been worried constantly and annoyed constantly, and it would have been horrible. But we're gonna look today at how do we find rest? And the first place we're gonna look is at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And we're gonna come back to this verse, so keep track of it. It says, then Jesus said, "'Come to me, all of you who are weary "'and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.'" So this is a promise that Jesus made to us that he would give us rest. Later in the New Testament, we were familiar with the verse, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus is is promising us that when we give him our burdens, when we give him our weariness, we can find rest. And that's what summer is all about. We talk about vacations, we talk about rest, kids are out of school, it's a great break. But how do we find that rest? And so we're in Psalm 95 today, but the question that I wanna start with, I kinda of wanna work backwards in this and go, what keeps us from finding rest? Because has anyone ever been on a vacation where it was not restful, not it was pretty stressful? Maybe you went to Disney, maybe you went to Universal. I saw that, there was just a dad that just went like this. He's just like, preach. And you go, you're doing it for your kids or you're doing it for people that you love, but deep down, you're like, this is not restful. And it's because you're so... you're so worked up, there's so much stress and I think that's what keeps us from rest so often. I deal with anxiety a lot. I'm always thinking of worst case scenario which makes me a great planner but not very fun. I like to always think of the worst thing that could happen and exactly what I would do if that happened. I also do that with every conversation I have and I have every conversation in my head before I have it. Anybody else? No? Just three of us? Okay. But That anxiety, that worry, that stress can keep us from finding rest and from finding relaxation in those moments. So the question I wanna ask today is how much do you trust? Because at the end of the day, if you're anxious, what that means is you don't trust in what's gonna happen. I worry about stuff because I don't trust the best thing is gonna happen. I always trust that things are gonna go wrong, that things are not gonna go according to plan. And so I'm always preparing and worrying that, man, I don't think the best thing is gonna happen. I don't trust that what's good is gonna happen, so I need to worry about it, come up with a plan. So how much do you trust? Now, this is a pretty easy question. How many of you sat down in your chair this morning and didn't even think about it? Maybe you sat down in this, you just sat down, didn't think twice, raise your hand if you didn't think twice. That's most of you. I used to be one of you. (laughs) I used to trust chairs. I used to trust a lot of things. Until about 10 years ago, I was getting on a p- prop plane. Anyone ever been on a prop plane? That's a plane with propellers. And yes, this was in the 2000s, not in the 90s. And I'm getting on this plane with a friend of mine, a little bit bigger than me, but never been a problem on a plane before. So we get on this plane, our seats are next to each other, obviously. So we sit down and as soon as we sit down, the flight attendant comes up and goes, oh, excuse me, sir. Um, for this flight, we're just gonna to have to ask one of you to sit on the other side of the plane. If you could just sit, I mean, you could still sit next to each other, but in the other aisle, you know, across the aisle. We're just kind of like, well, these are our seats. No, we, we got in the right seats and they go, well, because the plane is so small, we have to have even weight distribution. <laughs> so at this point, I'm going, this is a plane that's supposed to carry human beings and their luggage, and yet I can't sit on the same side of the plane as someone else my size. I am that dangerous to this aircraft and making it off the ground and making it to our destination that they're like, we're gonna need you to sit on the right wing because if you sit on the left wing, we're gonna end up in California instead of New York because there's no way this pilot can turn the plane right if you're both sitting over there. So at that point, I was like, I guess this is a problem. And so now when I sit down, you do that move where you put your hands on the armrest first, you give a little push down, you're like, okay. And then you, you, you know, I don't fully find rest cause I don't fully trust chairs anymore. Cause I wonder if I can pr- bring a plane down, how am I supposed to trust a chair? At this point I'm going, everything is kind of up in the air. I, when I step on something that's not concrete. I'm just kind of like testing it out. Like I'm on a, a thin layer of ice or something. But I don't trust things very easily, especially chairs. And when you don't trust it, it's hard to sit down and rest in a chair if you're freaking out about whether or not it's gonna hold you. Another thing I don't like because of my size is tall ladders. Um, I always like to see, especially those you know, extension ladders that are like this thick in the middle, I always like to see someone, I'm about 250, so I like to see someone at least 230 go up it before me. Because at that point I'm like, I can kind of see what it does and I can go, okay, do I trust that this ladder is going to allow me to get where I need to go? I didn't even like getting on roof for a while because you never know when there's gonna be a weak spot. But these are examples that if you're not trusting in the thing to do its job, all of a sudden you're getting worried. I'm all of a sudden not able to rest. I'm not able to just sit down in a chair without thinking about it because I'm a little worried about what's gonna happen. And the same thing happens with us that if we're not trusting, it's hard to find rest. The worst case that I had, and this was in school, I hated group projects. Does anybody else hate group projects? Great, probably the same people that raised their hand for all my other questions. We're all in the same boat together. I hated group projects because, humble brag, I was really good at school. Like I had a 4.0 GPA. I worked really hard. And so group projects were just a thing that teachers did to try to ruin my life. And they tried to ruin my goals and aspirations to be a good student and to have a career and to do all these things. And so group projects to me meant, great, now I have to do five people's work instead of just my own, or I have to redo five people's work because it's not going to be good enough for what I want. And I didn't trust that other people could do the work that I wanted them to do because all I was focused on, all I cared about was my own grade, my own future, my own accomplishments, that I didn't even care that other people might have actually been able to pull their weight, that they might be able to do their job. Instead, I took on all the work and I'd go, hey, why don't you just send me what you've got, I'll compile it all together, AKA I'll redo all your work to make it what I want, and then I'll submit this grade. And even if it's a bad grade, at least I know it's the one I deserve, right? So group projects were always a problem because a lack of trust in what my teammates could do led to a lack of rest. So the fact that I couldn't let other people do any work, I had to do five times the work to accomplish the same job. I was staying up late, I was working extra hours because I couldn't let go and trust other people to do what they say they would do. And so in our own lives, when we have a lack of trust in a chair, in a person, in God, it leads to a lack of rest. Because if we wanna find rest, we have to find trust and something else. If you go on vacation and you're afraid that things at your job aren't going to go well back when you're when you're gone, it's cuz you don't trust that the people that you've left behind are going to get the job done correctly. So you're constantly thinking about that. You're not able to actually let go, relax and rest. And this is where we pick up in Psalm 95. This is what David is warning us against. So we're going to start at the end of this psalm because it comes with a really really big warning about how we can miss out on the rest that God has for us. And we have a warning from the people of Israel back in the time of Moses, a story we actually talked about a couple weeks ago. And we're gonna pick up in Psalm 95, verse eight. It says this, the Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah and they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. Verse 11, So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of, say it with me, rest. So this is a really fun Psalm that we're getting into today. It ends with this warning. David's going, don't be like the Israelites because they messed up and God said, you will never enter my place of rest. Now this isn't just the rest that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11 that we read about where he says, hey, if you bring your burdens and you bring your weariness to me, I'll give you rest. That's a rest in this life found in a relationship with God. But this rest that God's talking about in Psalm 95 is entrance into his presence. Specifically, he was talking about the promised land, but it kind of represents a separation from God's presence because that's the only place we can truly find rest. So now this is a warning going, make sure you don't end up missing out on the rest that you have in this life and make sure you don't miss out on the rest that God wants to offer you for eternity. So this is bigger than just a vacation. This is bigger than just making sure you get some time off work. This is about truly finding rest and peace in your heart and for eternity. Now, what happened here at Meribah and Massa is the same story that Ty talked about a couple weeks ago with the people of Israel. They've been led out of slavery in Egypt. They're in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering, God has been providing for them, the manna, the quail, all of that. They get to a point and they just go, hey, we don't have any water. And Moses gets so ticked off. God says, hey, speak to the rock, it'll water. And then he hits it with his staff twice. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Water comes out he provides for the people of Israel. But a couple of weeks ago, we mostly talked about how Moses kind of screwed up and didn't obey God. Today, we're gonna talk about the disobedience and the sin that the people of Israel were committing and then take a look at ourselves and see where we can see ourselves in this. So we're just gonna look at one verse from Numbers chapter 20, it says this, verse five. Why? This is the people of Israel talking to Moses. So this was their complaint, this was their statement that they brought to him. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates and no water to drink. The first thing, there's two things I see here. The first thing I see is they forgot what God had done. Look at how this starts. This is their argument. Why did you make us leave Egypt? Does anyone remember what they were experiencing in Egypt? First of all, they were slaves. They were being worked to the point of death on purpose. They were being beaten to death on purpose. All of their sons that were being born were being murdered on purpose. And they have the audacity to go to Moses and go, you made us leave that, that would have been amazing. Why did you make us leave? Not only did God rescue them from all of that, he protected them from the plagues that he brought on Egypt to change Pharaoh's heart, to set them free. He parted the Red Sea for them. He provided manna, he provided quail for them. All of these things, they just forgot. And they look back on what he did and they go, you made us leave where our babies were getting killed and we were being killed and we were slaves. You made us do that. Why'd you make us do that? And how often do we look at where we are and we forget what God has done in the past and we go, God, why did you make me take this job? Not, man, I'm so glad you're providing in this new way. You're going, God, why did you make me do this? And and we forget what our life was like before he made us make a better decision, before he made us walk into better provision and better peace and a healthier family. We forget how bad it was before he stepped into the picture and changed it. And so today, what have we forgotten that God has done? What have we forgotten in our own lives that we go, why did you make us do that, God? Like, we forget that, He saved us. We forget that he provided for us. We forget that he's always with us. We forget all these amazing things that he's done like the people of Israel did. And we look at him and we go, why'd you make us? And when we forget what he's done, we lose our trust in him. The second thing we see the people of Israel do is they focus on their problems. Here in the second part of the verse, this land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates and no water to drink. So here they're going, all I can tell, all I'm thinking about is what I don't have. All I'm thinking about is the problems that we're facing. All I'm thinking about is that I don't have any dessert at the end of my meal. Like they've never died of thirst and yet they're complaining that there's no water. God's been doing this for almost 40 years. This is towards the end of their time in the wilderness. And yet they're complaining that they don't have what they think they need. They forget that every single morning there was fresh manna for them to collect. They forgot that when they complained about the manna being boring, that God also sent quail every morning to provide for them. Not only had they forgotten what he'd done, but now they're only focusing on their problems. They're only focusing on their issues. And what happens when we do the same thing? How often do we only focus on the things that are going wrong in our lives? How often are we only focused on the things that could go wrong, and it keeps us from finding rest. It keeps us from trusting in God because instead of focusing on what we know he's done and what we know he could do, we're focusing on the fact that our problems seem too big and our problems seem like he's not working in those moments. We go, we don't have figs, we don't have pomegranates. Instead of going, we've always had manna. We've always had quail. We've never gone without water long enough to die. God has kept us alive in this wilderness for our entire lives. And yet we're focusing on our problems. When Israel forgot what God had done and they only focused on their problems, they quit trusting him. And this is what I want us to think about today. This is the correlation that I'm making between all of this is our focus determines what we trust in. And what we trust in determines how much we rest. So let me break this down for you. The idea that the Israelites were not focusing on what God had done, they were focusing on their problems. So therefore, they didn't trust that God could see them through their problems. And the same thing happens with us. When we're focusing on whether or not I'm gonna get the grade I deserve, all of a sudden I don't trust all of these other people to do their share of the work. And when I don't trust other people to do what they say they're gonna do, or when I don't trust in something other than myself, when I don't trust in a chair, all, the t- all of a sudden, it's not as restful to sit down. All of a sudden I have to work a lot harder to do all the work that other people should be doing. And I'm gonna make sure that when I'm focused on myself and I'm focused on my own problems, that I'm gonna have to work really hard to make sure bad stuff doesn't happen, to make sure I get what I deserve, to make sure I get what I want. And the hope that we have today is that if we can find our focus in the right place, we can find our trust in the right place. If we can trust in the right place, we can find a rest that surpasses anything that we face. Now, my junior year of high school, uh, some more humble bragging coming up. I'm not up here very often, so I gotta really talk really good about myself when I am. I took all my AP classes my junior year because they hate juniors. And so I'm taking all these AP classes, But my school, I went to a small Christian school. We were famous for this one elective class called craftsmanship. It was a wood shop, but they had to make it something fancy. And so the thing is, this elective was famous, not for teaching you great woodworking skills, but for ping pong. There was a ping pong table built. It had a reputation for ping pong tournaments. Um, In preparation for this elective, my freshman year at Christmas, I got a ping pong table to prepare for this class my junior year, I got solid at ping pong. I'm not gonna say great, I'm not gonna, I don't want anybody in here challenging me, I haven't played in a while. But I got good at ping pong, because I was like, well, craftsmanship's easy. My dad's a carpenter, and he worked construction his whole life. I was like, it's in there somewhere, I just gotta bring it out, you know? Like, what I really need to work on is ping pong. So I get into this elective, and it's the second semester of the year, And at this point, I have built a shelf. It's not a good shelf. My mom still uses it. I love you. Um, I just tell her not to put anything valuable on it. I'm like, just don't put anything you actually care about. I built a birdhouse. The whole roof had a crack in it. Um, It was crooked. Birds did not like it. So I'm going into the final project of the year with a B. I am about to ruin my GPA with an elective that I thought was gonna be ping pong. And here is how funny God is. It's a group project. (laughs) Right? You get to partner up and build one last thing that is useful. That was the guidelines, which, uh, remember the anxiety, when you get no direction, something useful, that. How am I supposed to decide what to build? Especially because I can't even build a shelf. There's nothing easier than that. So I am freaking out. Luckily, my friend, Sam Wright, was the absolute best in the class. Like he was the friend who built us all potato guns in middle school, okay? So like this class, he did because he loved it and he's good at it, right? So praise God I get paired with Sam. And so we go into this final project and all of a sudden, my view on group projects changes quite a bit. All of the sudden, I'm, not, I'm still focused on my GPA, but I'm also focused, like, I don't wanna ruin Sam's. Like, I'm gonna screw him up. He's got the best grade in the class. Like, he's an ace. I'm gonna make him look like a dud because I can't do anything. And it changed the way that I trusted him. All of the sudden, instead of me saying, hey, I'll just do everything, I just go, what do you wanna build? He's like, how about a table? I said, the table's great. Let's do table. He's like, "Uh, should we do it this? I was like, that design's perfect. I love that design so much. Let's do that design. He's like, what color? I was like, what color do you think it should be? I think I'll even screw up the color. He's like, oh, we'll do this. I was like, perfect. That's great. Let's do that color. Let's do table. Let's do your design. What do you want me to do? And he's like, grab me that piece of wood. I was like, perfect. I can do that. (laughs) He's like, hand me that saw. Perfect. I can hand you tools. Like I'm... I'm great. I can even hold a flashlight. I promise it won't get in your eyes. Like, it's gonna be great. I'm good at this. And I follow his lead every single step of the way. All of a sudden, I'm going, please tell me what to do. I am not going to do anything unless you tell me to do it and you tell me exactly how to do it. And you watch me do it and you're ready to fix it when I screw it up. Because I'm focused on making sure that I can get into the colleges I wanna get in. And now I'm realizing in order to do that, I've gotta trust in someone other than myself for the first time. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, if I'm trusting Sam to lead me in the right direction, if I'm trusting his instructions on what I need to do, maybe I'll end up okay. The amount that we trust and the amount that we work are intertwined. The more we trust, the less we have to work to accomplish what we need to do. The less we trust, the harder we have to work to make things work for us. Hopefully you see where I'm going with this. So let's get back into Psalm chapter 95 because this is how the Psalm starts. It goes, how do I trust more in God, right? Because obviously that's where we're headed. We're going, we need to trust in God if we wanna find this rest. I can't trust in myself to make my life work, to make my problems go away. It can't all be on me. I have to trust in God. Well, how do I trust in God? Well, if our focus determines what we trust in, we need to focus on God. So Psalm 95 here at the beginning, starting in verse three, tells us what to focus on. It says this, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. When we focus on what God can do, when we focus on his ability, when we focus on who he is, all of a sudden, we can start trusting in that ability. We can start trusting in who he is. We don't have to trust in ourselves. We don't have to focus on ourselves and our own problems, but we can look to him and we can see that we can trust him. So let's look at these verses again. Why can we trust him? He is a great God, a great king above all gods. So he is king. He is ruler over all. And it says over all gods. What that's saying is he is sovereign over all spiritual things. He has power over the enemy, he has power over our situation, he has ultimate spiritual authority. Next it says, he holds in his hands the depths of the earth, the mightiest mountain, sea belongs to him for he made it. So he's the creator, he made the highest mountain, he made the lowest valley, he made the sea, he made the land, he formed it with his own hands, it's personal. So if he controls everything spiritual and he's sovereign over it, He created everything physical that we live in. He's sovereign over it because he created it. The next thing, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So not only is he sovereign over all spiritual, sovereign over all physical, he created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows exactly what we were created to do, who we were created to be, the life that he wants for us because he was our creator. He created us, not just the world. I love that the psalmist separates. He goes, yeah, he created the world, but he's also our maker. He breathed his life into us. He knows us by name. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows everything about us because he made us. For he is our God, verse seven, he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. He's our shepherd. He guides us. He provides for us. He leads us where we get what we need. He makes sure we stay out of danger. When we get into trouble, he'll come after us and he'll rescue us. This is who we're trusting in. This is, if we can focus on this, if we can focus on who God is, that he's creator, that he's sovereign over all, that he's the king of all gods, that he's our maker, that he, he created us, he created all things and we can stay focused on him, how do you not trust the one that made it? If you go, God, are you bigger than this problem? He's like, well, I made everything, so do you think I'm bigger than this problem? God, I don't know what to do in this situation with with my coworker, with my spouse, or with my kids. He's like, well, just so happens I created them. I might be able to walk you through this a little bit if you'll follow my lead. If you'll trust me to get you where you need to go. We can find rest from trying to make everything happen on our own, from trying to get that promotion, to get the lifestyle, to get the things that we think our family needs that will fix the problems that we have. We can rest from the fact that we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, sound a certain way to make people think we're living a certain way. Because if we're trusting in the one who really knows us, who created us, then maybe we don't have to pretend that we're something we're not. Maybe if we trust in the one who knows everything about us, we can be honest, we can follow his lead and go, what's best for me? Because at this point, I don't know what is. At this point, I'm just so worried that I'm gonna get it wrong. I don't know if I'm ever gonna find rest. And the greatest thing that we can find rest in is from trying to earn our salvation. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve, rose from the dead to defeat sin, to give us an opportunity to have a relationship with God that we don't only find the peace that the Psalmist is talking about in 95, in Psalm 95, but we get to learn the rest and the peace that Jesus is talking about in a relationship with him. Because before that, we could never have a relationship with him. We could never find rest. We were always gonna try to strive to be a better person. And man, maybe you're here, you are here today. Maybe you're watching online on vacation, which is amazing. Maybe you're in Lawrenceburg and you're at Shoals. You're like, I showed up to church today. I brought my kids to church today. Maybe you watch that Kingdom Builders video. You go, I'm a kingdom builder. I'm a giver. I serve. I'm doing Grow you. i I'm on a serve team. I'm doing all of this. I am set. I am good. I am working so hard to please God that he has to be pleased with me. And guess what? You can get into this cycle where you're just like, maybe I just need to give more. Maybe I need to serve more. Maybe I need to attend more. Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need to read my Bible more. But at the end of the day, you just need to rest. You need to focus on the one who saved you, the one who created you, the one who came to do what you couldn't do. I promise if you try to build that table and get that grade, you're not going to. You have to trust on the one that knows what he's doing. And he already did the work. He already came, he already did it so that we can just find rest in what he's done in his work and his ability. And we can just sit back and go, oh, you want me to pick up this piece of wood and move it here, perfect, I can do that. Oh, you want this saw, I can do that. All of a sudden, it's not up to us to accomplish it, it's up to us to follow his lead, to follow his instructions, to go, the pressure's not on me to perform, the pressure's not on me to be good enough, the pressure is off, I can find rest and what God's created me to do and who God's created me to be. So again, how do we rest? That's the question. The question, how do we rest? How do we find rest? That's what today's all about. Well, if we're focusing on him, when we focus on who he is and what he's done, we can trust in him. When we trust in him, all of a sudden we're trusting in who he is, his ability, his work, not in our own. And what does he say to do? Let's read Psalm 95, six through seven again. Come, let us worship and bow down. This is what he says to do. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. And there's this line at the end. If only you would listen to his voice today. That's the call. If we're focused on him, if we're trusting him, Then here it goes, if you would only listen to his voice today, what's the instruction? What's the step? What tool does he need? What does he need next? What does he want from us? What does he have for us? This is what his voice says, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Jesus, we come to you. We're weary. We have heavy burdens. God, we don't know what we're doing. We're trying so hard to be good enough. We're trying so hard to accomplish what we want you to do. And what you want us to do, And man, we're tired. We feel like this burden is on us to make things happen for our family, to make things happen for our marriage, to make things happen for our kids and our job. But at the end of the day, if only we would listen to your voice, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, that's all of us. Come to me, trust in me, focus on me, look at me and I will give you rest. Jesus, help us to focus on you. Help us to trust in who you are and what you've done and the plans that you have and may we just go, what's next? Help us to find rest in who you are. You promise it. If we will come to you, if we will give you our burdens, if we will give you our weariness, just go, it's not on me. You're our maker. You're our God. You're sovereign over all. You know what's best and you care for us. We come to you today. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.